Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. Welcome back, listeners. We are delighted to have you tune in again for our episode 11. Can you believe it, Antonia? No, I can't actually. 11 episodes is quite a feat, I think, for us, given how crazy our lives are. (laughs) Absolutely. So this episode is about our recent trip to Rueda. And uh, for those of you that don't know it, we're going to tell you all about the region. Mm -hmm. And it's we're delighted that they've sponsored this episode and we're able to share our experiences and stories of the wine region. And uh, we hope that you'll learn an awful lot uh, in this episode. Mm -hmm. So it's proudly sponsored by Dio Rueda. Yep, Dio Rueda. And the reason being that they invited us recently to to visit the region, along with three other fabulous professionals from the food and wine industry. Do you want to maybe mention them, Linda? Yeah, absolutely. So we had uh, myself and Antonia and three uh, wonderful people in the wine trade. We had Ali Dunworth. And food, of, well, yeah. I'm just about to talk about food now. Ali Dunworth, who is a fabulous uh, freelance uh, food writer. And uh, now she's more into her wine after the trip as well, I tell you. So that was great fun, having someone that was more of a foodie come along. And uh, like we had beautiful experiences um, on the trip with all restaurants. I'll get into all that. But also who came along was Blanca Valencia. Um, and I've known Blanca for a while. We've worked on a few um, Spanish wine events in the past. And she is another podcast host, uh, Spice Bags podcast is her one. But she's also a Spanish cook, author and teacher. And finally, we have the wonderful Bridget O'Hora, who is Bridie Wine Chats. If you don't know Bridie, you need to. Uh, she's a f- huge fan of our podcast, isn't she, Antonia? Antonia, she's always saying how amazing we are. <laughs> There you go, Bridie. You have to have to plug this episode. Yeah, but likewise, Bridie's well, Bridget um, is brilliant, and she's great following and knows all about her wines as well. So, um, yeah, what a great group of girls to to travel with, and um, all coming from a different facet of the business. And um, it was just great because like we have such passion for what we do, and you know, for for produce and. I think it's safe to say that people who are into food are into wine and vice versa. So, yeah, I mean, every winery we visited, every meal we had together, we were we were just gushing over it all, weren't we? Oh, absolutely. And we had some absolutely amazing uh, visits. How many was it in the end? Was it 11 wineries? I was trying to count that up. I think a 10 or yeah, 11. It was 13 originally on the list, but we kind of got them to take one or two off so that we could have a cultural walk around the region as well, yeah. which was with lots of fun as well. Lots of cathedrals. That was in the town of Valladolid, which is where we were based. Yeah. yeah. So just to get in, I suppose, to into the, the terroir and the geography of it so people can place it. What do you think? Yeah, well, hold on. We flew from where to where? We flew from Dublin to, to Madrid. Yep. Yes. On, on an airplane. <laughs> we took a flight. Fly. <laughs> anyway, go on. And we go on. Right. Get. Well, look, we, yeah. We flew to Madrid and you could get then on a train. There's two train stations in Madrid. One is Atocha, which is very much central. And the other one is Chamartin, which is a little bit on the outskirts. And and it, depending on where you're going, is it will decide which which one you're, you're you're getting your train at. But the one for that's heading towards the north, northern routes in, in general, northwest, west would be Chamartin. But we, we obviously had a little minibus. We were, we were chauffeur driven. Yeah. Sorry, we were chauffeur driven. <laughs> <laughs> chauffeur driven. So we weren't slumming it, is what you're saying. So they, we weren't slumming it. I'm only pretty, joking. Pretty nice, I have to say. Yeah, they looked after us really well. Yes, they did. They were well looked after. But um, no, the um, it's a it's 175 kilometers the region from sort of north northwest from Madrid, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the town is, I suppose the region is named after the town of Rueda, which is quite a kind of a small historic town. That's where the, where, where we went. Do you remember the first first morning to the offices of the Consejo Regulador? Yeah. For people who don't know what the Consejo Regulador is, it's it's basically the regulatory council. Um, it's, it's the board that sort of oversees all the quality, you know, 
quality control for the region. Let's just put it that way. And um, so the town is called Ruena, but it's lent its name to basically wines from the general region. And that region covers uh, Segovia, Avila and um, Valladolid, right, which is where we were based. And um, and so the thing about the region, it's so it's somewhere between if you're if you know Ribera del Duero red wines, it's somewhere between oh, yes. there. And that's kind of the reds that you'd find in, on the wine list. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And then Toro, which is probably not as well known. But, you know, all the Matsu wines with the, the, mm-hmm. the guy's face, the young guy, the middle aged guy and the Elfala. Well, and the woman now. Oh, I forgot about the woman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's all Toro. They're all those wines are made in Toro. Yeah. Um, they're quite rich, robust wines. But anyway, um, so the weather lies somewhere in between. And, and I suppose in terms of the terroir, there are two important characteristics. One is that it's... No, terroir, Antonio, you're talking terroir. about the soil types and all that, yes? The terroir is, is a term that uh, represents or encompasses both the soil type, but also climate conditions and mm-hmm. even things like your um, topography. You know, if you're, you know... Kind of slopes or your slopes and so on. And exactly. That. So, um, so the thing about Rueda is that it's it's kind of got good altitude. It, it lies somewhere between six hundred and nine hundred meters, which is nice and high. And the climate is continental as a result. Um, well, it's continental both because it's inland and because it's kind of high altitude. And what the continentality of the climate gives is. A high diurnal range. Now, I know. Hang on a minute now. Diurnal range means the difference between the daytime temperature and the nighttime temperature. I think we mentioned this in one of the other episodes. Yeah, we did. But what's important about a high diurnal range is that it it allows the grapes to grow in a way whereby they're achieving ripeness, which is very important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. uh, During the day in that sunshine. And they're also maintaining really good acidity levels. And that lends itself to a nicely balanced, well, grape, nicely balanced wine so that's that's what that's the background to to Rueda and to uh, to why it's really good area for white wine sorry right. I forgot to mention yeah. the soil type it's predominantly kind of pebbly gravel soils and um, some areas have um sort of sandy loamy soils mm-hmm. as we you might remember we went to some vineyards that were kind of sandy soils mm-hmm. um but for the most part you're talking about pebbly soils they're well draining you know they're they're that means that's good for the vines, basically, to, because it, it, it gives a bit of water stress to the vines. Anyway, we won't get they into that. They have to dig that. deep their vine. They have to go yeah, down the roots, the roots and, have and to go find deep. that work hard for it. Exactly. And it means better kind of yeah. quality then. Yeah. And there's kind of, well, I was going to give a little bit of interesting history, but maybe I should save that for the did you know part of the end. Yeah, save it to did you know. Okay. Let's All right. Okay. Into, um, but just oh to yeah, say, instead of a quiz, we're doing a did you know? Yeah. But just to mention that, I suppose, in terms of grape varieties and styles of wine, I think it's probably important to touch on that before we go through like our experience and the types of wineries we went to and so on. The grapes here are predominantly white. So I think it's somewhere like 80, 90 percent white grapes that are grown in this region. And of those, uh, 80 percent is Verdejo. So Rueda. Verdejo. 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 See, I learned loads of Spanish when I was away. It did. So for it's anyone Spanish. who doesn't know this, here's a spelling lesson, because you might have seen this particular grape on spelling a wine lessons. list. Spelling lessons. B-E-R-D-E-J-O. Yeah. And your J-O is pronounced. Well, a J is like a H. Yeah. In so Spanish. it's Verdejo. Yeah. Isn't that very good? Isn't that really yeah, good? Yeah, you've come me? along. I had to say the, the grape name about a thousand... <laughs> 50 <laughs> times away so <laughs> yeah so so Verdejo is the native grape of the region I think it goes back to the 11th century the first plantings of it that's amazing I think but anyway yeah. I'm a bit of a nerd so I would find that amazing yeah well you said it <laughs> this time <laughs> Verdejo uh, Viura is also planted so that's also known as Macabeo um, you and have to usually see that in Rioja that's right. Um, yeah. Sauvignon Blanc, which was only planted in the 1970s. And there's an interesting little fact around that, which we'll get to at the end. But Sauvignon Blanc is also like, you know, 
widely planted. And then um, Palomino, actually, which goes back to the 30s. Palomino. I knew we couldn't get through an episode without mentioning the sherry grape. I swear to God, Antonio. No, this was not, you know. Put me on repeat here, look. This was not deliberate by me. This is just a fact, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Palomino is a grape variety used to make sherry, um, certain styles of sherry. And uh, it happens to be grown there because, well, again, this goes back to their tradition in Rueda, which I'll get to again. But anyway, they don't plant, there are no new plantings of Palomino, whereas they're planting plenty of Verdejo and Sauvignon Blanc and things like that. And then uh, very recently, they have approved two new grape varieties, which are one of yours, one of your favourites. You're always talking about this. Would it be Chardonnay? Well, Chardonnay, yeah, but that's not the one I had in mind. Oh, oh Viognier. Viognier, yeah. Um, which we were raging because we really wanted to taste them. Well, we yeah. wanted to taste a Viognier on the trip but uh, I think because they're only newly permitted, wineries are only starting to to produce them. And the, 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 where we were, they didn't have, the wineries we were at, they didn't have um, any new releases of Viognier ready for tasting, but that's okay. I'd be very interested to see how they turn out. Um, yeah, like, and, I mean, sorry, yeah. Antonia, the, the way, it, you know, sometimes when there's regions and they have traditional grapes like Verdejo, that's in the region native to it. Sometimes they like to, you know, it takes a while for them to adapt and change and use different grapes because it's always just been a certain way. So it's interesting the way they're kind of mixing things up and changing things and allowing different grape varieties into the region. And again, climate climate change might have something to do with that as well. Yeah, definitely. Going off on a, a tangent here that you don't want me to no, go on. No, okay. we're supposed to go on <laughs> tangents. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you totally. Uh, and I think the fact that this is a higher altitude region um, is important in terms of, especially with, with what's happening with climate change, you know, it's allowing um, producers to make wines that still are really fresh and have good acidity, yeah. um, which is really important in like a wine. They need the sunshine, but they can like a fresher version of Viognier and Chardonnay. Yeah, I think would work really well in a blend uh, with Prosecco. But again, we'll we'll have to go back again in a few years and try them again. What we'll do you just think? Have to. It's part of the job, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, now we were up at what time in the mornings? We were up early. at eight a.m. out on the road, and we were gone out till midnight. So, you know, it wasn't easy having been dragged around the place and tasting all the wines. I think there are people probably cursing at us now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Find a Um, tongue in cheek a little bit here with this. I know, I know. Um, But it's work. yeah, no, it is. Look, it is tough going because they're intense. And when you're in the wineries, you're asking questions, you're taking notes. You're Well, you were anyway for your Master of Wine Studies. It was like Antonia was asking me to ask a few questions on her behalf. So she didn't seem like the nerd in every one of them. Well, I mean, it got to the point where I was just constantly asking questions. And Techie, I was really conscious questions. that I was holding everybody else up. So I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, we just went, yeah. come on to the wine tasting. Come on. <laughs> Anyway, um, and then red grape varieties that are permitted there, Temperanillo, of course, Cabernet Sauvignon also, Merlot, Garnacha, and a new red grape variety allowed in the region is uh, Syrah. But to be honest, it's quite negligible, the amount of, I mean, the per- percentage, as I said, it's probably not more than, you know, 10, 20% of what they're producing. So, um, yeah, in terms of styles, I really, I just want to get this out there before we move on, right? Because I just feel, I feel, you know me, when I feel strongly about something. <laughs> I do know you when I feel strongly about something. Um, get it off your chest, Antonia, get it off Well, it's more, it's more to, to kind of, for people in the, in the wine industry to spread the word a bit, because I mean, that's what we, we are doing by going and visiting these regions and coming back. We're, we're coming back to spread the word. If we believe in it, if we believe in what we've seen and what we've tasted, we we are sort of um, part of our job is to spread the word. And I feel that Verdejo has so much commercial appeal and mm-hmm. appeal in general. I think the quality of what we tasted was like next to none. Um the styles, there were so many versatile, I mean, we'll get into the styles, um, but really versatile in terms of what producers are doing now. Um, it's not just your straightforward fresh and fruity anymore. Winemakers are playing with all sorts of winemaking techniques to come up with mm-hmm. complex, um, age-worthy wines. But I was about to say age-worthy because, again, I did, um, I suppose in the last year or two, I did a kind of template, an infographic for the Bordeco grape because, again, 
you know, the more you know, the more you can share your experience of. But the ones that I had tasted from, you know, that you can buy in Ireland were the fresh, lively, youthful styles that you wouldn't mm-hmm. be putting down to age where you they'd never see oak. Um, and yet that infographic is going to have to be adapted to say, yes, you know, generally unoaked, but some are and they can be more age worthy, which is incredible. And can I just say as well that I um, were saying that, you know, this episode has been sponsored by Dio Rueda, but I'm actually personally working with the region as well to help, um, you know, highlight to consumers the wines of the area. And, you know, with a very strong love of Spanish wine in general and uh, they're lesser known ones in particular, because mm-hmm. I think Spain has so much to offer. And uh, Brujeco is just one that I've always really enjoyed that is kind of an unsung hero of Spain. Totally opinion. agree. Yeah. I mean, everybody here knows Alvarino and you have yeah, yeah. Alvarinos everywhere and, and like that, deservedly so. But um, it's kind of cast a shadow on other white varieties such as Verdejo in my opinion and Godello Godello and the Godello yeah which is is they're they're sort of slowly emerging from you know from the darkness into light sort of thing (laughs) I mean um, Verdejo to me offers so much and particularly when we consider the popularity of Sauvignon Blanc and aromatic Sauvignon Blanc Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc like Verdejo is such a brilliant alternative for Sauvignon Blanc drinkers but mm-hmm. I wouldn't even pigeonhole it there because, you know, it's it, there, there are so many nuances. Um, and as as we said, so many styles in its kind of simple, youthful form. Uh, you know, you're talking about a wine that's aromatic, it's fresh, it's lively, it's intense with zesty citrus notes, stone fruits. But it also has typically like a herbaceous fennel note. Many of them have a streak of minerality and they all tend to have like a tiny little bitter note on the finish, which is really attractive. And I think it makes it really a really good food wine as well. Yeah, Um, 100%. Like that bitter note that you're saying, I'd say like grapefruity or something like that, that it's not bad bitter in any way, but it's just um, and the, the, the herbaceousness as well. Again, you didn't pick that up in all the wines that we tasted. But for me, you know, a classic one would have those lovely touches of minerality, herbaceousness and the gorgeous uh, fruit as well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and as I said, many producers are now working with Lee's. Well, we won't get into I think we mentioned Lee's before. We no, we have. So that's just we, the okay. dead. Dead yeast cells. Probably sounds grotesque. To some yeah, people, no, it, it really does. Actually, I think uh, Bridget has a fabulous picture. Of uh, a photo of the Lees. We'll get that and we post that for anyone on our email list on Instagram. You can see that as well. Yeah. Look, all it is, as you said, is yeast that is doing the fermentation that converts those tiny little, you know, yeast cells or bacteria that converts sugar into alcohol at the end of the fermentation dies and just look like kind of white particles for for want of a better image. And um, if they're allowed to sit there in contact with the wine, they will add texture, they will add complexity, they will add really interesting um, mm-hmm. flavours of sort of buttery notes and brioche notes. And hence the fact that like a really good champagne has lovely toastiness to it because, um, you know, it's spent time ageing on the lees in a bottle. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what lees are. And so a lot of producers now... Um, are working with lees aging, they're aging in oak, they're aging in concrete eggs, um, and they're doing all sorts of things for added texture and complexity. And the results are seriously age-worthy wines. Mm-hmm. I was blown away. And do you remember we did some vertical tasting? So for people who don't know what vertical tasting is, is when you get one wine and you you take it from different years that it was released from different vintages and you taste them and you compare. So what was it like 10 years ago? What was it like five years ago? What was it like two years ago, if you know what I mean, or just yeah. released? And some of the vertical tastings we did showed wines that had like brilliant structure and flavors of like sort of honey, dried apricot, yeah. smoky mineral notes um, developing over five or six years. Not unlike, to my mind anyway, an, an aged Riesling. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Gone into too much detail. No, like, I mean, this is a chunky episode. I mean, yeah. you know, there's, we, we spent five days there, so yeah. we haven't even touched about the food or, or anything like that yet, but go on. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, sorry. I just, I, I loved, I just, I loved, I mean, the insights we had, we got when we were there and, and uh, in terms of like, 
here is a really understated region and they're doing all these amazing things. They're producing phenomenal quality. And I just think it's really important to to, to highlight it, you know. Um, one of the things that I, I was also impressed with, I mean, in, in, an, in an effort to highlight that quality and to highlight the age worthiness of their wines, they've created a whole new category, which is the Gran Vino de Rueda. Do you remember those? Mm-hmm. And uh, the Gran Vino de Rueda is basically a classification, a wine that um, is produced, well, the vines have to be at least 30 years old um, and they have to have been aged for at least 12 months before release, whatever that is, whether that's an oak or whether it's an And a lower lager. yield as well. Lower, lower yields. Yeah, yeah. So what was it? Six and a half thousand yeah. Liters per hectare versus 10,000. Again, me Kilograms having something hectare, techie yeah. to say, something nerdy to say. Yeah, go <laughs> you. Unlike go. me. You see, I picked up loads of oh, stuff you, from the region. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. And that just means that they're they're actually pruning away, um, getting rid of some of the perfectly good grapes, but um, in order to keep the quality higher. Uh, That's right. For the, for the better quality wines that they're going to age age in, in barrel for, yeah. for some amount of time. Mm. Or or wherever they decide to, to age. Oh, sorry, yeah, not to be aged. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, and again, like they their explanation is: look, we're doing this in response to a demand that we see in the market for age worthy wines, mm-hmm. and also in response to sort of the gastronomic culture that they're seeing emerging, and not only in Spain but in the export markets, and a lot of people in the on trade, especially looking for foodie wines. Yeah. And that's not to say that a fresh, lively, youthful uh, white wine isn't a foodie wine. But, you know, sometimes, especially with how fancy and fine dining some like restaurants, establishments are getting that it's it calls for for something a bit more textured, a bit more complex. What I loved about the wines we tasted in, in Rueda is that they struck a really nice balance between complex whether it was maybe fermented in barrel or whatever, and still having really fresh, lively acidity, really good fruit concentration. Um, Because if you think about some oaky whites, like we've talked about California and so on, a lot of them can be so seriously buttery and toasty Mm -hmm. and vanilla that it can really kill the fruit. But I thought the balance... These were really elegant, I have to say, what I found about the ones that were aged at any amount of time, the freshness just lifted the wines and they were really, really elegant. Yeah, totally agree. So should we talk a little bit? Well, the other thing I loved about the region, I have to say, is a real focus on sustainability. I was just going to say that. Yeah. I mean, uh, and yeah. Yeah, no, throughout the whole trip, I think that was kind of echoed in many of the wineries. And in the the very last place that we visited on the day, like our, we literally were up, I don't know, crack it on. And we'd one winery visit and our flight, we had to leave to the airport at 11. So we're tasting wine at 10 a.m. We're mm-hmm. like, do we have to be here? And that was unreal, that that winery, Cuatro Reyes. Is Cuatro Reyes, yeah. Reyes. Um, huge, huge volume production. Mm-hmm. But that for me was one of the highlights of the, sorry, I know I'm going off on tangents here. That was one of the highlights for me because... All the others were talking about sustainability and, and it was great. But they actually, when we went for the tasting, they had actually recycled um, paper water. Uh, That's right, yeah. In paper cartons. water. Cartons. Thank you. Yep. I couldn't think of the word. I was like, you know, and and just, um, you know, they they actually used, uh, I actually put one of their wines on a wine list. I'm working for a restaurant called Town Yard. Shout out there for that. Um, in Malahide. And I put on one of their wines that is the organic Bredeco. Mm-hmm. And again, I trained the staff, you know, if people are looking for a Sauvignon Blanc, but this is an alternative to it. And it goes with so much of the menu. And it has a beautiful owl on the picture because they were saying that they love the animals around to, you know, help with the ecosystem. And my, you know, all off. Yeah. The owl had to do with them. integrated pest management so rather than using pesticides to you know to kill off any random pests they uh, encourage natural predators to come into the vineyards and and you know let the natural cycle of things uh, take take place which is part of their sustainability ethos as you say but it goes to even they have um one of their wines is called green and social and they have a project Mm -hmm. called green and social and it's 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 
very inclusive and holistic and it's not just about the practices in the vineyard it's about um the community um yeah. working together profits going back in it's a cooperative so they're very much about um you know family um you know coming into the winery everybody helping out women equality um all of that kind of thing now yeah. these were huge like they're a huge 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 yeah. co-op yeah. um producing i don't know how much wine you might have the stats on that i don't know but Oh, my God. But it, I just felt very authentic and family orientated, even though it was such a big player. Um, and, you know, not just their white, some of their red wines I absolutely adore as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That well, actually that's wasn't a- one of my recommendations because I knew I was going to touch on that to, yeah. to mention how how kind of impressed I was with how big they were, yet so mindfully, um, mm-hmm. you know, Socially responsible, environmentally responsible. Yeah, I get it. No, I mean, look, they are co-op. They were established. I have a few stats here on them. The Cuatro Rayas, 1935. They work with 300 growers from all over Rueda. They, and that represents about 2,000 hectares. That's a huge amount of of vineyard um, land. Um, But they run it like a company, you know, so they're, they're very commercially minded, but with that ethos behind it, you know, and down to, as you say, the water that they mm-hmm. served us during the tasting. It's the first place I was at where they said, no, no, it's a, it's a carton. It's not glass. Mm-hmm. Um, or plastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I found that to be a common theme and a common thread throughout the region, mm-hmm. throughout all our visits. Every single winery seems to be doing something to to sort of promote sustainability, whether it's organic viticulture and the labels on the bottle are that I think I remember Yef Siglos, they had the labels on the bottle were um, uh, made from organic paper, organic yeah. or recyclable paper. There was uh, Bodega Mina, they were like sort of using biomass for all their energy needs, solar panels for all their energy needs. Um, yeah, so very sustainable ability focused, focused um yeah. which were were really which we're all I, about as well we are all about we that are, you know absolutely but come here do you want to talk about like sort of the general trip and what we did and what crack we got we up to the shenanigans <laughs> i'm not sure we're allowed to talk about the crack that we had this is the you know supposed to be a what sponsored by serious episode no i know i know that we had like i mean i can't remember some of the restaurants but you know the way you go and you take photographs of the most amazing food ever Oh, wow. Yeah. We had absolutely amazing. Um, we mm. went to a Michelin star restaurant. We went to a famous tapas bar. Um, Do you remember the meal we, we had with Santiago in that fabulous restaurant where can, let me so just see nice. if I can remember what we had. We had, um, it was. What like didn't a, we have? Oh, this is. A, I know. Ali had kills now. Ali was like, well, here, we're here. We need to try everything. So literally that was we the tapas the menu. I know, but do you remember we went with Santiago who who runs the DO office and he brought us this, yeah. this amazing place and we had like a sea bass. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, it wasn't a ceviche, it was. It was a sea bass ceviche with like lovely fresh onions and tomatoes and everything. Then we had like the almejas, which are clams, done in a heap of amazing olive oil and garlic. Do you remember? That was so We were tasty. mopping it up with the crusty bread. And then we had, oh, Jesus, we had... With tuna, which was um, seared tuna. We had lamb. We lamb as well? Yeah. Now, the region is known for, and this is something I'd, I can't really get over. The region is known for something called cochinillo, which is suckling pig. And we never got any on our trip. I know. Blanca was, you know, crying at that. We'll have to go back <laughs> again, as I said. <laughs> yeah, we, we have, to. have to go back. Yeah. And at that meal with Santiago, we we tasted so many different fabulous whites and we ended on the Belondrade, which has to, like we have to mention, I know it's a seriously expensive white, but it's, it's fabulous and it's really okay, So I know it's seriously expensive, but there's two, two labels, a blue label and an orange label. So the blue label one is not as, um, as expensive. It's still around 35 euro. Mm. Uh, the other one, the orange label is about 60 euro. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, stepping stone it in. Now, the ones we're going to recommend are not these kind of crazy prices. No. Crazy prices. But, uh, you know, these were for us a wow treat at dinner. And, you know, it was just unbelievable. Now, I, I've tasted them before because I've worked with, uh, Solera wines help, um, you know, who import it, right? Various, who import the wines. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've tasted them before and I've literally been in love with these wines. 
prior to going. So I was like, girls, wait till you try these wines. It's on the list. It's going to be amazing. And like how nice being treated to those at, at a wine dinner. It was just, it was yeah, heaven. It was we all love that. Yeah. Uh, didn't we? It was just so we, nice. we had a fat. Look, every meal, we so, every meal so we had, we were so treated lucky. Treated like queens, like, yeah. you know. We were so lucky. We went to, every single winery was different. Every food experience was yeah. different. And um, the crack we had, and the, you know, just the oh, company no was crack. brilliant. No crack. You're zero crack. Minus see, crack. Like, just, you know. As Bridget would that, say, minus crack. Minus crack. Oh, stop. That was so funny. We, we all had like little sayings that we all had. Um. Oh, it's just too funny. Minus yeah, crack. Funny. I wrote them all down because these were making me laugh so much. Um. Anyway, <laughs> you need to tell people about the, the difference of, do you remember the, when we went down to the. Um, oh, yeah. Mediterranean. Yeah. Oh, wow. This was okay. a winery that we didn't have enough time in, unfortunately, to go visit. So, well, there um, were two with subterranean winery or bodegas wineries. Do you remember? We had the first subterranean was with the bodega, the one that nobody, even the Spanish speakers, couldn't pronounce. Oh, God, they're going to kill us now for not remembering this. Well, I certainly can't remember. Garcia Revelo. Right. Bodegas okay. Garcia Revelo, I think. Revalo could be. Um, a very nice winery. And um they were the first to introduce us to what are called the, the subterranean bodegas. So many of these towns have actual underground wineries that go back to like go back centuries when the church and, and sorry, the second winery to bring us down on the really extensive tour was Alvarezi y Diez. Alvarezi Diez make um, the Mantel Blanco. I think they're working now with Winespark which is okay. really interesting. Yeah. So um, they're like a series of underground tunnels and uh, ca- like sort of caves and they go down very, very deep, 30 feet deep, I think. And they've got like old deposits and like concrete tanks and where they fermented and and stored wines for many, many centuries. And going back to, I think, um, do you remember Jose explained that... Um, the church would collect taxes and this is how they would collect the taxes would be basically hitting on all of the the wine grower the winemakers and the growers on to basically provide in wine or grapes um and a lot of this was yeah i mean they had little openings on because obviously during fermentation um you, oh, they, yeah. you give that? off co2 which in huge quantities in the absence of oxygen is toxic and fatal so they had little vents and we were looking up the ceiling and looking out at like a looking little glimmer of light and seeing a little gap like yeah you know? and when we were overground on the street you could see like a little vent which was basically yeah. the outlet for for, for the co2 <sighs> yeah so no i mean we walked we walked you remember that one where we were yeah no we went in one entrance down 30 feet and next of all we come out where we were walking there for a long time miles so, down the road <laughs> yeah we came down <laughs> yeah. like oh where are we again like that was unbelievable to see yeah um and you know spectacular and so lucky that we can actually we will we will obviously post up um you know photographs again we obviously can show you on the podcast so mm-hmm. visualize it and um if you're on our social or email you will see um, we'll, we'll po- post a load of photos of uh, our trip as well. And we'll write yeah. a blog, won't you, Antonia? I'm giving you work. This will have enough to be doing, but yeah, of course. I'd be no, delighted, delighted to write blog. Um, okay, I think now we're getting on time-wise and we have to get into our Did You Knows, which gives okay, us an opportunity okay. to talk about some of the little interesting facts. So will I kick off? So for centuries, uh, the region of Rueda produced fortified kind of Solera aged wines. Like I know you're going to say sherry, but it's not my fault that they, it's not my fault that they produced sherry style wines, but they did. And they did it, you know, they aged either, they did um, oxidative or or biologically aged wines, mainly from Verdejo or Palomino uh, grapes. Um, The Palomino they brought into the region in the 1930s. Um, But... Their, as their popularity declined, um, obviously they had to look to other grape varieties and other styles. And the salvation for the region came in the form of Marques de Riscal, who we all know for their Riojas. And uh, their Rioja Reserva in particular is a big seller. Um, so Marques That's de Riscal. The one that has the, the, the netting. Yeah. Stuff on it. Yeah. So Marques. Oh, no, it doesn't have the netting anymore. God, do you remember that? That was really old school. 
Oh, sorry, I'm showing my age now. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, Marquez de Rescal decided they were going to go in search of a region where they could produce a white wine to partner their reds from Riojas. And with the help of renowned French uh, enologist, winemaker Emile Peinot, they went to Rueda, taking advantage of its high altitude, of its challenging climate and the well-drained soils. And they decided, look, this is going to be a really good area for producing fresh, lively white wines. Mm-hmm. And so um, they are very much responsible and they certainly led the way to the revival of Verdejo. And Emil was also the one who, who, who suggested planting Sauvignon Blanc, thinking, look, that'll be that'll help sort of put the spotlight. It'll help commercially um, um, put the spotlight on this region. So they Actually, planted. It, that's a good point, because, again, people are like they may not have heard of Verdejo. Or, you know, they might have seen it, but they might know it. And then if the region produces Sauvignon Blanc, people can say, oh, that's kind of safer. We'll try that um, and hopefully lead them to Berdejo. Yeah. So there's there's your did you know, the did you know bit being, you know, that we can. Did you know? Yeah, we can credit the revival of Berdejo and the planting of Sauvignon Blanc from Rueda uh, to um, Marques de Rescal with the help of the very famous Emile Pino. And also, did you know that one out of two on-trade wines in Spain are Rueda wines? Now, is that one know? out of two white wines, right? White wines, sorry, yeah, yeah. white wines. It's white a huge wines. stat. Yeah, it's, it's a huge in Spain. If the Spanish are drinking it. Exactly. So much. Why are they drinking it so much? Let's get on it. Did you know that 20 years ago, consumption of white wine in Spain was 10% and now it's 31%. And as you just said, Rueda accounts for almost 42% of the market share for white wine, which is a huge statistic. Sorry, what? Yeah, what? That's huge. Like it was 20 years ago, it was much smaller and now. So how come? What do you think is the... It's a good question. I mean... Yeah, I think just because we're because I'm working with the region, I'm trying to help promote it. I was just about to say that. Where's not my job? Like, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize you were promoting in Spain, too. (laughs) Um, I just think younger generations and and people coming out of kind of what's tradition and, you know, Mm -hmm. also the foodie scene, as they say, that whole gastronomic piece. Um, you know, which lends itself to a diverse style of wines, you know, being consumed. I suppose another interesting fact, right? People know about phylloxera, maybe they don't. Phylloxera no, was they like... they haven't a clue about phylloxera, Antonia, oh, like okay. seriously. People do not know what phylloxera is. It okay. sounds like one of your horrible... Like a plague, which it was. Phylloxera yeah. was like a plague of this nasty little pest that um, could get into a vine by its roots and basically savage it. Yeah. Literally. And it spread throughout Europe back in the late 19th century and it destroyed so many vineyards across Europe. Um, it didn't get to America, which is why so many of the the vines in Europe were regrafted onto American rootstocks, but we won't go there. Um, the point being that when phylloxera hit it destroyed, as with many other regions in Rueda, they, it destroyed, I think, 80% of the vineyards there. But I did mention earlier on that some of the soil types in Rueda are sandy soils. Sandy, um, and the Mr. Philoxera doesn't like sandy soil. He couldn't survive in sandy soils because it suffocated him. As a result, um, um, Rueda has about 30%, I think, 20 to 30% of its plantings are the old pre-phylloxeric bush vines. And um, this is an important point when it comes to some of the wines that are coming out now that are from these old bush vines that are basically bush vines that are very old are kind of associated with producing wines with great intensity and concentration mm-hmm. and complexity. Um, and we won't get into the why of it all, but but from in terms of Rueda and the Verdejo plantations that go back to the 11th century, in the last 20 to 30 years, um, you know, we've we've relied on some of these old bush vines to replant the Verdejo, if you know what I mean. Okay. See? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and did you know that I absolutely love when we were in the last winery, uh, Cuatro Reyes, Reyes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that we watched this lovely man 
who must have been in his 60s, little oh. farmer, come yeah. in on his tractor mm. with a big, huge um, truck and truck of uh, grapes that he'd picked the night before that he brought in uh, at his nighttime harvest, brought them in, emptied them in to mm-hmm. be crushed. Mm-hmm. And we stood there with him looking at the grapes being poured in. Mm-hmm. And that was just magical. We were there it's talk- a farmer, one of their 300 yeah. growers, picking them the night before and coming in to um, make sure everything was okay with his crop. That's going to make some of the wines in the region. Did you know that was just so, such a magical moment for me, seeing him. I have photographs of him, ask permission, of course. And uh, that was just magic to see the real person who tended to the grapes and um, he's going to produce beautiful wine that hopefully you will all enjoy. I think you're right. I mean, that was a a moment for all of us. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think his niece was working in the office of the winery, which just shows you, it's just an example of how they all, they're so Mm -hmm. inclusive and, um, and I think it was a magical moment for all of us because it's it's kind of looking at the the hard labor, the fruits of the labor of these mm-hmm. growers who put so much care and passion into their grapes. And, you know, that for him was a really proud moment. He was delivering these, yeah. you know, this volume of like what he thought were like what he believed to be really high quality grapes to the winery and us watching them all. I mean, it was fantastic. But ex- maybe explain to the listener, why do they harvest at nighttime? They picked at night um, to retain the acidity and the freshness of the grapes. Um, and, and it was just, it was just so nice. Mm. So nice. Yeah, as you said, mechanical harvesting at nighttime is really all about making sure the grapes don't start spoiling and don't start getting oxidized, that the sun doesn't start affecting them and or whatever spoilage, bacterial or otherwise oxidative, will start affecting the quality of the grapes before it reaches the winery. And um, you can only, I mean, mechanical harvesting can only happen where the vines are trellised. They're trained on wires, whereas those bush vines we talked about earlier, you can't you can't harvest them. The person has to do it. Yeah. Let's get on to wine recommendations. <laughs> Okey-dokey. <laughs> what have you got? My recommendation is, to be honest, it was really, really tough trying to pick one. Um, but we have mentioned a couple and we'll definitely, we definitely will write a blog about this trip and we'll get some input from the girls as well. So I'm sure they'll have their own recommendations. For for me, it was Tres Pilares. Is that mm-hmm. right, Antonia? Tres pilares, yeah, three pillars. Okay. Three pillars. And um, that was one of the bodegas that we visited and it was um, family run. And they were just, oh, I just adored the one. It was actually a Verdeco, but also a Sauvignon Blanc that they had. And both are available in Mitchell and Sons. And they're really, I thought for exceptional value for money, these were one of my stars because I would have paid more money for them. Do you know that way in Ireland in particular? Do you know how um, much they're retailing for? Yeah. So normally there's 17, mm-hmm. 16.95. And at the moment, this is now in October, they're 15. Um, Amazing value. Thought, wow. Amazing. And actually the Sauvignon Blanc went down to 13 at one point when we were away and wow. I checked it on the trip. Okay. So they're two to watch. And I think I would personally happily pay the 17 for it. But for me, when you find a wine then that's actually on offer, but you're willing to pay the full whack, then it's even more of a, a bargain. Yeah. And um, the Brodeco was just so lively, had gorgeous fruit. And it had that for me, minerality and grapefruit note as well, as well as citrus. And I could drink it on its own. I didn't need any food. But if um, it would pair with so many different things, you're suckling pig. Anything with a bit of fattiness because of the gorgeous, um, fresh acidity coming through the wine. And I just love the whole family vibe of that winery. And and it's available in Mitchell and Sons. So that was just my my recommendation, both the Brodeco and the Sauvignon Blanc. Um, and definitely. And do you know what would be cool if you were going there and you bought the two and compared the two? I think mm-hmm. that would be a really interesting. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Because Sauvignon Blanc uh, drinkers would tend to like Brodeco and vice versa. It's just something you mightn't have experimented with before. Yeah. So there you go. That's me. What about you, Antonia? I, no, I have to say. You I know don't... what? I don't know what you're going to pick because you scribble in so many notes down on the trip. I don't know where you're going to go with this, but I do have another favourite. And if you don't say it, I'm going to mention it as well. Go on. 
To be honest, I had so many highlights. It's really hard to pick one. Um, so I'm just going to I'm going to mention a few, but I have to agree with I you. I knew you wouldn't be able I to. Know, just I know, I just couldn't. One. I couldn't. <laughs> Tres Pilares for me was a standout winery. I just thought mm-hmm. their ethos, their focus on quality and on expressive wines rather than trying to um you know, create a, like a consistent style every year, you know, and kind of a commercial style. I just really appreciated the authenticity of the wines and mm-hmm. they had, as you said, lovely minerality uh, to them. All of them, I mean, I think we all um, responded in the same way to their wine. So mm-hmm. fair play to you for shouting out um, those wines. I I just, in terms of what I think is a really good benchmark for Verdejo, Mm-hmm. I have to mention Jose Pariente, who are obviously they're more of a modern winery, but to be honest, they, they're still family owned, and it goes back to Jose Pariente himself. But it's his his daughter who, who oh, now runs that was the winery. A gorgeous story of that, and they had yeah. the photographs of them up all over the place. Oh my god, that was lovely. Yeah. yeah, and for me, when I think of those wines, I just one word came to mind, and that was class. Okay. I just thought they were classy wines. They were really well made, really well crafted, elegant wines. Um, I thought, uh, say, for example, the one that we have in the, well, we have the Sauvignon Blanc here in Ireland and we have the Verdejo um, in with Wines Direct. I think you can buy from Wines Direct online or they have outlets in various places. I think Arnott's being one of them. But their flagship is the Jose Pariente Verdejo. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, four months aging on lees, which which gives it amazing texture and roundness mm-hmm. in the mouth. Um, but beautiful aromatic stone fruits, really refreshing acidity and um, flavors of fennel, quite broad, um, which I think is kind of typical of a of a good verdejo. Is that they can be quite broad. Their alcohol in general is thirteen percent. They a lot of them are yeah, aged yeah on that's leaves. actually something that that all of yeah. the wines were. 13% or above. Exactly. Well, 13, 13 and a half, yeah. And for me in a blind tasting, and I always think about things in the context of a blind tasting, one of the giveaways here would be that texture, that mouthfeel. It's more medium bodied. It's got the mm. alcohol, 13%. And it has a, a really complex array of flavours. I mean, okay, use in its use, it, it's, it's fresh, aromatic, citrus stone fruits. But when you think about it, fennel, a little touch of aniseed, a little bit of bitterness, like that's quite complex for just a straightforward, yeah. simple, useful white wine. And then mm-hmm. when you add anything else like lees aging or barrel aging, you're talking about more layers again. So this one for me was just, it's just it had a beautiful kind of purity of expression for Verdejo and it has lovely minerality. I think it's an all rounder. I think it's about 17, 18 euro, which I know is a little bit more pricey than what you mentioned. But for what it offers, I think a really good price point. Uh, to be honest, that's um, a wine that would be my benchmark um, that I would that I would show if I was doing a tasting. It's, yeah. it's absolute benchmark and and just so get elegant and classy as well. Completely echo what you said. Yeah. And we don't always agree, Antonia, but I have to say we we agreed on an awful lot of the wines that we enjoyed in this trip and yeah. um, that we're yeah. delighted to be representing the region, like shouting out about it. Um, and we'll only do that when we really, really well, enjoy absolutely. the ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. I think people know so. us well enough by now to know we're only <laughs> going to talk about wines that we love. Um, Even if they're really expensive or, uh, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just for us. If we can stand by it and recommend it, and I'll highly recommend yeah. Yeah. the wines of Rueda. I do appreciate people need to see value, especially now. And obviously we need to be mindful of recommending wines at certain price points and, and you highlighting mm-hmm. that that Verdejo um, from Tres Pilares is at on sale and I mean look you know if you want a bog standard simple um, Verdejo a good value I mean there's any number of them out there you know Marquesa de Cáceres Verdejo Protos Verdejo what's the one in O'Brien's I can't remember the name of it it's quite a uh, quite Alberto, a, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very nice example at a good price yeah. point. So and we actually will. had that at the tapas bar. We were that's right, point, yeah. and we'd like that one. And mm-hmm. um, I want to shout out though, from in terms of the more complex um, versions examples mm-hmm. that we tasted, Dieth Siglos. Again, going back to them, they were one of the. I think it was the first they wine visited really to Ireland. Yes, they are. They oh, are cool. with um, Dieth Siglos, meaning ten centuries are. 
let me see if I can get that information fairly rapidly. Yeah, curious wines. Oh yeah, they remember they're quite yeah. a, a young, yes, a yes, young yes. Um, kind of uh, team of winemakers or one winemaker, Laura, a female winemaker, and they're doing some brilliant things there. Uh, really fascinating things. This one, the fermented in barrel, the barrel fermented and uh, decanter 95 points, but it had all the fresh fruit, the peach, the apricots, but it had butterscotch, it had honey. Oh, I remember. Figs. It was quite opulent, that, really know. long length. It was, it, I think it was um, one of the wow moments. The other one we loved, Mantel Blanco from Alvarez y Diez. Again, it was all about an elegant style um, of white, a bit of a aging on the leaves, lovely texture, lovely fresh fruit, lovely minerality. Like I could go on and on. There were so many brilliant wines that we tasted. Um, so I have found it very, very difficult to narrow down. And Cuatro Rayas, you mentioned them, but they had one, Viñedo Centenarios, uh, which is uh, one of their wines from the Centenary vines, the old bush vines that I mentioned. And it was just another stunner. Um, great concentration, great minerality, great length. I just think this region is on the up and up and people need to look out for it. It's just got so much to offer. Food wines, fresh fruity wines, brilliant alternatives. And can I just highlight, we are <laughs> seeing nothing but increasing costs when it comes to uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Not that, I mean, I love, I'm a big fan of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, but between logistics costs, um, shortage of supply and all sorts of things going on. I mean, when you go in and to a store looking for a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at big prices. So if you are inclined towards that style, have a look at Verdejo from Rueda or even Sauvignon Blanc from Rueda. Love it. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in again yeah. to this epic, big, chunky episode about yeah. Rueda. And um, we sponsored by love to see. Sponsored by Leo Rueda. We want to mention that again. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, we just want you to share with us any wines that you are enjoying from the region as well. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Great. Until next time. We're not Cheers, telling them what we're doing. It's a big surprise next time. Okay. Right. Fair enough. Cheers, folks. Have right. a great week. Cheers. Clink. Bye. Clink. <laughs> Bye. You have been listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. 